Imagine you and two of Jesus' disciples. He tells you it's time to travel up the mountain. A long and laborious trip, perhaps in the bright sun and fresh air. Finally, you reach the top, let's be honest, panting a little bit. You look towards your Lord, and what do you see? His face shining like the sun, his garments shining as white as light. Suddenly, in this vision behind him, appear Moses and Elijah. You don't know how you know who they are, but yet you know who they are. Interestingly, it is not at this point that Peter, James, and John hit the deck, that they fall to their faces in holy awe at what their eyes are taking in. Interesting also when we connect this to what we just heard from the Old Testament text from the book of Exodus. There we see Moses on Mount Sinai with God, and having conversed with God when he comes down, his face is shining like the sun. What are we to make of these things? What indeed? Perhaps it isn't so much the divinity of Christ that is in view here, that as he shines with the light of the sun, we see his divine nature, that he is true God. Perhaps it is even more accurately the case that we see here true man, man as he was made to be. The church fathers, at least Several of them thought that when Adam and Eve were created, they were clothed in light, shining with glory and brightness. Thus, upon eating the fruit, they realized they were naked. Not to get too crass about it, but that makes more sense the more you think about it. So also, Jesus promises that in the kingdom of his Father, the righteous will shine like the sun. That's you and me in the new heavens and the new earth, in our bodies raised and glorified, shining like the sun, just as Jesus does on the Mount of Transfiguration. He, of course, shines with unborrowed light, as we just sang, and we with borrowed light, that is, with his that he gives to us. What a beautiful verse we just sang. Fulfiller of the past and hope of things to be, we hail thy body glorified and our redemption see. In the third century after Christ, a heresy arose within the church a Gnostic heresy brought in by a man named Manny, and it becomes known as Manichaeism. Now, we won't do justice to the nuances of his particular version of this heresy, but broadly speaking, it goes like this. To have a body is bad. To be a human being is not good. <laughs> What's the problem? 
Well, immediately we see that that would make God the author and creator of evil things, since he made our bodies and he made us in them. What also is the problem? It would be impossible for Christ to become incarnate, to become man, if it's essentially evil to be human. And then also, what would be the third major problem? There could be no resurrection of the body, no life everlasting in the new heavens and the new earth as people raised, resurrected from the dead. So this heresy was denounced by the church universally, continues to be to this day, and yet we can see how even though it's been denounced, its dark tentacles have still spread into our own time. How do people in our culture view the body. I would contend that they see the body itself as limiting and thus as evil. It's very design and nature in the way of that which I want to do, and as such, I am good and the body is evil. Very similar to Manichaeism. At the end of the Roman Empire, when its great civilization was going into collapse. Widespread was the practice of feasting and orgies. Feasting to the point at which one became so full they had no recourse but to cause themselves to vomit in the vomitorium so that they could simply pack themselves all the more with food. So also why an orgy, the body made for one partner that the two would become one flesh, but this wasn't enough, more and more and more. The body's own natural limitations being transgressed by the inner impulse of, no, this pleasure is good, the body is evil, its limitations are in my way. We see a same kind of spirit today where the world tends to view the body as limiting. So you were born as a male, but you feel like you're a female, or you were born as a female, but feel like you're a male. The body stands in your way. You are good, the body is evil. And so since it sets these limitations, what must you do? Break them. Try to make your body through surgery or hormones to reflect the good that is within you. We see this attitude in other things as well, things that may in fact be good in and of themselves being abused. The body sets limitations and we try to push past those limitations. Think of sexuality in general as a good gift of God in our culture and yet transgressed in every possible way as we go beyond the natural bounds. We can see this too in our view of the body's health and limitations. As soon as you get a headache, you probably go right to the cabinet and grab a Tylenol. We don't listen to our body. Does it need water? Does it need sleep? Does it need food? Never mind, it hurts. Make the hurt go away. 
And so too, as we approach old age, we see the body contradicting who we think we are, and so we do our best to make the body manifest the youth that is within us. Maybe most egregiously going so far, I should say, as to say, well, I'm going to have a surgery that makes my body look younger than it is. If we continue to push this on, we can see where transhumanism makes perfect sense. The idea that, well, perhaps the body's mortal limitations can be overcome by way of technology. So man today, unlike man of previous ages desiring to be angels, now desires to be machine. Maybe you can live forever disembodied on some server. Hopefully no one will pull the plug. In this impulse to cheat death, we can see how our culture views the body, its limitations, and our mortality as a bad thing, and how our body and how we seek to overcome that by way of cheating death through medicines, technologies, machines, whatever the case may be. There is an analogy of this and an irony of this in one of our great myths. Star Wars? Remember how uh, Anakin becomes Darth Vader, loses to Obi-Wan, is going to die, but is saved from death, how so? By becoming more machine than man, a transhuman. And so too, the evil emperor who saved him, somehow in episode nine, speaking of heresies, don't get me started, Somehow he arrives alive as well, but in a grotesque fashion, having cheated death. The way of the dark side is to cheat death, not to conquer death. By way of contrast, Darth Vader, once he's redeemed, as well as Obi-Wan, as well as Yoda, they all conquer death by becoming force ghosts. And there's the irony, <laughs> is that our great hero myth, Star Wars, is a Gnostic myth, one that Manny of Manichaeism would have applauded. This, too, is too weak of a gospel. The idea that you would simply leave your body behind and become an immortal force ghost is too weak of a gospel. Because God made us as human beings with soul and body, so his redemption is that of soul and body. This is why the incarnation of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus are all the focal points of the Christian faith. Because it is our Savior embodied. He takes on our flesh to bear the sins of our flesh in his flesh, Peter says, on the cross. And then, having put our sins away through his atoning death, he is raised in the flesh, never to die again. Back to our text, I want to tie this point in with a point that Jesus makes. As soon as Jesus' face is shining like the sun, his clothes like light, Moses and Elijah are there. The disciples are seeing this, the three of them. They haven't yet, 
fallen down. And Peter comes up with an idea. Lord, it is good to be here. He says, if you wish, I can make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, in Luke's gospel, what's funny about this is Peter's the one who, in all likelihood, gave Luke the material. So Peter gave Luke to write this. Peter didn't know what he was talking about. (laughs) So while Peter is still going on about building these tents, then the cloud comes and overshadows and interrupts him. What was Peter getting on about with these tents? Well, it was common belief at that time that the Feast of Tabernacles would be fulfilled when the Messiah comes. There are timing indicators you can see in Matthew after six days. It's thought that this was at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, and so this all makes sense. When the Messiah comes, the new heavens and the new earth were going to be populated by tents. We'll all live in tents around the Messiah, and um, it'll be the new age. And so Peter sees this happening, and he says, hey, this is it. Let me build some tents. Now he is interrupted by the bright cloud that comes down upon the mountain and by the booming voice of the Father. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Well, what has Jesus been saying and what will he say? The Son of Man must be put to death and then rise again three days later. At the sound of this voice, the disciples finally fall down in great fear, trembling. And of course, it's Jesus himself who comes and lays his hands gently upon them and says, Rise and do not be afraid. On the way down the mountain, Jesus says to them, Tell no one of this vision. Very interesting word Did this happen in the sense that someone else could see it, or was this a vision that only they were privy to? We don't know. Tell no one this vision until what? Until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. That's really the answer to why Peter was wrong fundamentally. We can't have the new heavens and the new earth without the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. That the sins of our bodies and souls would be laid upon him in body and soul and be taken away forever, that then he would be raised so that we might be raised with him, that this mortal would put on immortality, that this flesh which is now corrupt in all of us would put on incorruption, The word in Greek for transfiguration comes from the word metamorphosis. The worm has to become a, I think it's there, butterfly. And this is the perfect image for we who will not merely cheat death, but in Christ will conquer death to die and rise again, to be transfigured ourselves such that we shine with the light of Christ. It is this future that we glimpse. Our last hymn for today will include this verse, and this is how I'll finish my homily. With shining face and bright array, Christ deigns to manifest today 
What glory shall be theirs above, who joy in God with perfect love? In Jesus, we see our future. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.